podcast this, this morning where we're going to be focusing on Brexit and specifically going to look at some of the practical tax implications that businesses should be considering now we, we finally have a deal. So on that note, um, I think everyone is very relieved, whatever your, your view was on Brexit, that after a long four and a half year period, we finally have some clarity. And I think the clarity that all businesses and advisors were were really wanting and seeking uh, throughout that long period. So what we're going to cover today is uh, some of the more practical points. So what we're hearing from our clients for conversations that we're having you know, multiple times a day with different clients and different businesses about how they are impacted by Brexit, what practical steps they need to be taking, um, and, but specific, specifically focusing on, on the tax perspective. Um, so that, that's going to be covering uh, corporate tax, withholding taxes, and that's going to be covered by me. I'm, I'm Alistair Shaw. I'm one of our international tax partners here at S&W, based in our London office. From an indirect tax perspective, I've got Sunil Palmer, who heads up our indirect taxes team at S&W. And from an employment taxes perspective, I've got David Udell, who's a, a partner in our team here in London as well. So to kick things off, I'm going to throw over a question to Sunil, because I think it probably is indirect taxes, uh, which is, is most uh, impacted by uh, Brexit. So Sunil, over to you. What, what are the main indirect tax uh, considerations you're seeing from a Brexit perspective? And I guess how's that changed in, in the last few weeks? Yeah, thanks, Alistair. Hi, everybody. So from an indirect tax perspective, I think the first question you need to ask yourself is, is your business involved in the provision of goods or services? Um, clearly, a lot of the talk in the press, certainly into the run-up to the announcement of a trade deal, was about trade in goods and the way that the uh, trade deal impacts them. And we'll come back on to that. I think if we start with services, because for the vast majority of service providers, there shouldn't have been a major change on day one, i.e. from the 1st of January. I think there's a couple of important exceptions to that to note. And the first is if you're a financial services provider, then there are potential changes. And the majority of these changes are regulatory or legal changes. Passporting has been talked about a lot um, and has a, quite an impact on the way that financial services businesses are structured and what services can be provided. This, in turn, leads on to a knock-on impact in terms of intergroup charges around that particular group, which can then impact transfer pricing and potentially the level of irrecoverable VAT incurred. So I think if you're a service provider who's involved in financial services, you need to look at your business structure. The second, uh, I guess, bucket or group of service providers is those involved in the provision of digital services or electronically supplied services. Now, in this area, you may be familiar with a mini one-stop shop or a MOS registration. From 1 January, that can no longer be held in the UK. So there needs to be some work as to registering for a non-union MOS outside of the UK. Now, for a lot of providers, that's the, the most obvious place to go has been Ireland, but it is potentially possible to uh, register for that non-union MOS outside. If we move on to goods, which has really been the major talking point, um, I think there are a few important things that if you are involved in the movement of goods between the UK and EU, that you need to do if you haven't done already. The first is you need an EORI number, an economic, economic operator's uh, registration identification number, 
and it is possible that you'll need one for the UK, one for the EU, and one for Northern Ireland. With any provider who's involved in the provision of goods, it's really important that you review your supply chain. It's important to know if you or your customer is responsible for importing the goods within the EU into that specific country. And the delivery terms or INCO terms are often really important in that respect. I think next, if you are importing goods uh, from outside the UK into the EU and overseas, then it's really important that you have discussions with your customs intermediary, be it your freight forwarder, logistics provider, customs broker or agent, ASAP. I think there's potentially an increase in the customs declarations that are required. Um, and it's really important to start those discussions um, to make sure that they can handle that on your behalf. I think the final point I point out in respect of those moving goods is that there is a change for people importing goods into the UK. Historically, you often paid import VAT at the point of import, i.e. when the goods physically arrived in the UK. However, there is now the possibility to use postponed VAT accounting. So in, uh, when using postponed VAT accounting, you would account for VAT on your VAT return uh, on, for the period in which the goods are imported into UK. This, for a lot of businesses, can lead to a cash flow um, advantage. Um, as Alistair mentioned, the last few weeks obviously changed things. The fact we got a deal, a trade deal agreed, um, is really, really important, I think, and really positive. It gives businesses a lot more certainty um, as we uh, start 2021. I think just one point to note on the deal, which, um, you know, for the purposes that the full deal is it's a EU-UK trade and cooperation agreement. And the one thing I'd say about that is what that secured is preferential tariffs and quota-free trade. Um, now, that it can be quite different from a free tariff or a, a, a completely free trade deal. And in order to understand that, it's really important to understand the rules of origin, which are, broadly speaking, where your goods originate from. So, for example, if you had a product or a food product that was fully grown or manufactured in the UK, then that would generally uh, be subject to no tariffs between the UK and the EU. However, if you make an import from, say, China or the US into the UK and then subsequently export that same good to the uh, EU, then it is important to know that tariffs are still potentially applicable on that. So it's really important to understand, again, going back to your supply chains and also understanding the rules of origin, which can be quite complex for certain goods. Um, I think that covers the key points in terms of both for goods and services from an indirect tax perspective. Um, David, did you have any uh, key points from more of an employment tax perspective? Yeah, thanks, Sano. Hi, everyone. Um, so my, uh, my advice to date has really been surrounding those businesses who are international working in and out of the EU, uh, but predominantly around the movement of people. And there's been a, a big question mark over what the future of social security will look like. 
um, as a result of Brexit because um, uh, the the socials, the old social security regulations, which were in place for many, many years, uh, were governed by an EU directive. And of course, us withdrawing from that um, has meant, you know, that we are operating as a, a third country in respect of the EU, which has quite frankly concerned quite a lot of businesses. Um, so very, very, um, from a very high level point of view, the, there are, uh, there's two angles to approach. There, there will be businesses that have will have had workers posted um, from 2020 who are exist has an existing arrangement working abroad, and that might be uh, formal assignees, business travellers, um, people who have a dual role working in, with an EU country and the UK. And for those, um, what what's very good is that the withdrawal agreement has stated that so long as there is a um, no, no, no interruption to that that, that working pattern um, involving a member state as member states and the United Kingdom. Then the old rules will still apply, meaning that somebody will remain social security will remain payable in the home country and not the host country. Now, for new new postings from 2021, the good news is with the um, with the EU uh, UK Trade and Cooperation Agreement. Um, this means that the same principles of social security will apply, ensuring then that individuals again who move between the UK and the EU after 1st of January, if the new the new assignments will still have access to healthcare cover, home social security contributions, um, and those same provisions. And that is fantastic news for businesses who have multi-state workers or detached workers um, working cross-border. The issue is, though, um, it's not quite clear where we will ultimately land uh, with each EU member state, because um, first off, the, the detached worker provisions, so those old rules, will apply, but only for postings up to two years or 24 months. And at the moment, we probably need to hear a little bit more detail on uh, what happens after 24 months, because at the moment, the rules state that if somebody's working over 24 months from in another country from 1st of January, then the home social security will be payable until that point. But then there's potential to say that host social security will be um, will be payable then. And whilst the whilst the uh, trade and cooperation agreement does state that you will only pay um, for contributions in one one country only, so either the UK or an EU member state. Um, it will be a concern to businesses who then have to register for a foreign social security regime. Equally, um, I've mentioned the term detached workers, and that, that really refers to individuals seconded and assigned by an employer to work uh, either in the UK or in EU territory. Um, but there is a time, a deadline of the, by, uh, by 1st of February, whereby um, an EU country must agree to opt in to the detached worker rules. So in other words, to continue what was originally agreed. And um, each EU country must individually agree uh, to the rules in order for them to apply. And therefore, there's no guarantee that these rules will apply for all posting. Um, and we need to wait for that formal confirmation. So uh, in a way, there's what I, what, what I describe as sort of a sub-transition period which uh, the next month will bring in respect of social security. 
But what I mean, the key takeaway really from from my perspective is, I think employers should really be considering whether it's appropriate to limit any new postings to 24 months. Um, and for assignments planned this month uh, in January before 1st of February, um, you, you, there will be employers very keen to hear whether uh, states have opted in or opt, opted out. And then you should be applying the old rules in this interim period. Um, but as I say, it's very much wait and see. And in a month's time or less than a month's time, I think uh, another conversation would be much welcome on the updated position. I mean, Alistair, um, we, we, um, we, what, was, what has been interesting today is we've been discussing, obviously, the events of a no deal and how businesses can perhaps assure themselves or uh, change their operating model in respect of um, restructuring. Do, from a corporate perspective, do, do you think that that, though that option is still viable um, if a business has chosen to pursue a new uh, entity or subsidiary in an EU member state? Yeah, no, thanks, David. And, that, and that's that's a really good question. Um, and, and I think just before I answer that, I think I'll provide a bit of background in terms of, um, you know, I, I guess where we are now from a direct tax perspective. With, with the loss of EU directives, which took effect from the 1st of January, um, we now need to look at double tax treaties um, and domestic law when we're considering withholding tax. So something I've been doing uh, a lot of with, with, with my clients leading up to December and, and indeed a number of different questions in the last few days is looking at corporate structures and understanding any sort of inter-group uh, payments um, that, that across territory that go from the EU or to the EU, uh, with the other party being the UK and thinking, actually, are there any withholding tax implications um, post losing access to those EU directives? Now, in many cases, the answer is no. So luckily, we've got a really good network of double tax treaties um, with all of the EU member states. Um, and it's just whether uh, those treaties get you to the same position, which under the EU directive was broadly at zero withholding tax. So. Um, so it's definitely worth looking at that if your if your businesses haven't done so already. And for those payments, that they might be dividend payments, they might be royalty payments, um, interest payments. So that, that that there may be a tax implication there. Uh, the second point to think about there is not not just actually whether there's a tax cost, but whether there's a, a additional administration that needs to be done. So if we take, for example, interest payments um, from let's say the UK to uh, an EU lender. Previously, to um, to mitigate any withholding tax being paid on that interest payment, i.e. you can make that payment gross, you, you would go to the revenue and you would seek clearance that you had coverage under either the EU directive or the double tax treaty. If you had done that under the EU directive, arguably you now need to go back to the revenue and seek a new clearance to say yes you can still pay gross but under the double tax treaty so just another considerations for businesses and in, in terms of bringing back to your question david around i guess the practical implications and um, on what this now means um you're right a, a number of my clients and different businesses uh, for commercial reasons restructured and did things before uh, the end of December. They moved uh, functions or assets or operations from the UK to the EU or indeed from the EU to the UK. And what does that mean from a tax perspective? Well, well that means you've got a different operating model. 
you might have different cross payments going across the territory. So again, what are the withholding tax implications of that? More generally, what are the transfer pricing considerations? Again, you, your business is operating in a different way now. So you need to make sure that your current transfer pricing methodology and the documentation you have in place is still fit for purpose. And so that definitely does require some consideration. Um, and anything you want to add to that, Sunil? Yeah, I mentioned earlier that um, that's certainly the case for financial services businesses. And the reason that's more important for those types of businesses is that they're generally partially exempt, so can't recover the amount of VAT they incur in full. And therefore, any additional cross-border charges between group entities lead to a real financial cost. However, for any business in any sector, even if you're fully taxable, it's still important to undertake that review uh, for a new corporate structure just to make sure that any VAT being charged cross-border or the reverse charge, everything's being accounted for correctly. So uh, I would def definitely recommend a review in relation to any tweaks that are made to the corporate structure from a VAT perspective. That's great. Um, conscious of our time, so just maybe maybe a couple of quick questions and, and then we'll close off for today. Um, a question for both uh, Sunil and David. So what does the free trade agreement deal mean from a tax perspective from, 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 your, from your respective taxes? Yeah, I'll, um, I'll start with that one, Alistair. So um, as I mentioned, um, you know, the free trade deal had been, you know, certainly dominating the press in respect to indirect taxes in the run-up to the 24th of December when it was announced. I think it's really, it's really helpful for businesses, um, as certainly if those businesses involved in the movement of goods between the UK and EU. However, as um, you know, often with these things, the devil's in the detail. So it's really important to understand those rules of origin. Um, I think further. It's also very light on uh, anything around services and particularly financial services. So I think that's certainly a space to watch as, um, as you know, discussions about this deal continue in 2021. Um, David, have you got anything to add uh, from your perspective? Um, well, it's interesting. I mean, taking a step back, I mean, one of the advantages of Brexit in the first place was that we were governed from a tax perspective by EU directives. And even from an employment um, uh, tax perspective or an expat tax perspective, what this means is we do retain that autonomy now to be able to set our own tax rates as a country, to be able to uh, perhaps adapt to how we want to in attract in inward investment into the UK. And so, I mean, the key thing is it's, it's really... I suppose on one hand, there's been a lot of nervousness, obviously, in, in the business community about what, what Brexit means for taxation. But one of the advantages which this will give is increased flexibility to the UK authorities. Um, and I, I guess the, the real um, the prize from that will be seen in the next few years as we choose to a tax strategy which adapts to the current climate and recovering climate that we are working in right now. Thanks, guys. That was really helpful. Just the last thing I want to cover quickly before we sign off today is um, around inbound investment. So I do I do a lot uh, supporting businesses expanding both out of the UK but also into the UK. Uh, we, we saw quite a bit leading up to December where European businesses were setting up a U UK operations, much, much like many of your businesses setting up in the EU. Um, I also do a lot with the US. Um, I think over the past four and a half years, there's been a lot of hesitation as whether whether the UK is still a good place to set up for expansion into the EU. So a lot of analysis looking at different territories, but generally speaking, businesses decided that commercially the UK 
was the right place and so they moved forward. I think leading into Q4 of last year, that, that really slowed up from, from my perspective. Um, but in the last few days, I've spoken to a number of US businesses, but now they've got that clarity. They're looking to expand into the UK um, despite Brexit. Um, I guess the free trade agreement does help. And, and I generally, the view is, well, actually, we, we, commercially, it makes sense for us to be in the UK. And if need be, we can have an EU subsidiary to the extent we need one for, for other tax or commercial reasons. So just, just a bit of insight there from me. So I'm conscious we want to keep this quite short and sharp. So we'll close that podcast for today. Clearly, this is a, a constantly evolving sort of position. We're gaining further clarity almost on a daily basis and lots of insight from, from our many clients. So the plan is there'll be a series of uh, webinars and podcasts and additional insight that we continue to offer around Brexit. So please look out for further detail in due course. Thanks again for listening and we look forward to speaking soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. This SW The Pulse podcast is of a general nature and is not a substitute for professional advice. No responsibility can be accepted for the consequences of any action taken or refrained from as a result of what is said. The views expressed are not necessarily those of the presenter or of Smith & Williamson or any of its affiliates. No reproduction of this podcast may be made in whole or in part for professional or recreational purposes. No action should be taken based on this podcast We accept no liability if we change your views on any of the subjects mentioned. Smith & Williamson LLP, regulated by the Institute of Chartered Accountants in England and Wales for a range of investment business activities, a member of Nexia International. Tax and government legislation that is prevailing at the time is subject to change without notice and depends on individual circumstances. Clients should always seek appropriate tax advice before making decisions.